Hello, Henry. Hello. How are you today? I'm pretty good. It's good to see you. I'm, I've, I've really been looking forward to this chat um, and, and really looking forward to introducing you to our, our podcast audience. Um, I'm really excited to be co-hosting the Return of the Buffalo podcast with you as um, you know one of the helpers that came along for the, the original Return of the Buffalo retreats that we had here at Sandy. Um, and, uh, and just as, uh, you know, as an authentically un- indigenous person and indigenous voice, uh, in, in co-hosting this conversation, I think that's just makes me feel so much better about, about being part of this. So, um, I, yeah, I mean, for folks, for folks that, that don't know you, um, you, you came to be connected to me through Mitch Bourbonier, who's a, a mutual friend and, a a guy who's done some amazing work with uh, uh, CFS-involved young people in Winnipeg, uh, yep. who you've who you've worked with as a helper for for quite a few years now. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, that's any anybody who comes to me recommended by Mitch Bourbonier is going to be like uh, a okay as far as, as far as I'm concerned. Um. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I kind of got to know you in, in the retreats as a sort. Some people refer to you as a young elder, um, and I and I can see why um, you um, you got shoulder tapped by uh, by uh, an elder from Mamawi Chitata, uh, Wally Chartrand, at the end of the men's retreat. He couldn't be there for the final ceremony. Yeah. Um, and he shoulder tapped you to do uh, to to conduct the sweat as the as the, as the conductor, uh, which was kind of like, uh, it was to me, it felt kind of like participating in your ordination service. Um, Mm. you know, that was a real special honor to be there for that. And, uh, um, so I'm, yeah, just really grateful to have you on and, and, and part of the team in a few different ways, um, for, for folks to, to get to know your story a bit, um, uh, you've been through you've been through a lot in your life, and, yeah. and through a lot of the same things that um, you know some of the people that have come for for healing retreats have have been through. Um, and maybe maybe you could just start by you know talking a little bit about your childhood and youth and you know, your formative experiences that made you the the man that you are today. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, you know when you when you asked me to be a part of this, I was a little. Uh you know, um, a little, um, anxious, a little nervous, you know, I haven't done anything like this before, but I'm, I'm happy to be here. Um, um, I'll start by introducing, um, my spirit name as, uh, mm. so in English, that's standing black bear. And I'm from, uh, I was adopted into the wolf clan. Um, and uh, I just want to start uh, by by saying that um, I don't I don't really view myself as like a, like a, a young elder or an elder. I just uh, I just like to share, you know. Like uh, maybe I, I I have some knowledge that uh, I've picked up through the years. Um, I would say probably about twenty one years of uh, being in and out of ceremony, mm-hmm. you know, and um, living with an, an actual like an elder, yeah. You know? That's uh, that's been respected and still talked about to this day. Um, so I just uh, humbly just share as much as I can, you know, with the traditional um, teachings and 
And I remember you put that on your, like in your bio, like mm-hmm. that, that that's part of, and I just really thought, I like, I really thought that's like, besides your, your training in social work, uh, which we'll talk a little bit more. You're, you're in the, the bachelor of social work program with indigenous knowledge with the U of M, but mm-hmm. like to hold that side by side on your bio with those 21 years of, of being in ceremony as like, you know, those are both ways in which you've, you know, chosen a path of, of learning and, yeah. and, and you're putting them, you know, equally side by side. Uh, I thought that was really, really profound to like see that on your bio. Like, yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's part of the teachings you carry. That's part of mm-hmm. your education. Yeah. At yeah. least as much as that other education. Yeah. It's a, it's a very big part of my like education and just um, my journey, my life journey. Um, so yeah, like uh, you wanted to know, um, about my childhood, my mm-hmm. formative, my formative years. So um, my childhood is uh, filled with um, uh, trauma, abuse, and and poverty. Mm. You know, um, one of the first memories I have is uh, my mom and dad getting in this big argument because my mom was out drinking. I don't I don't know if it was for the night or if it was for the weekend. Um, I must have been about five years old and uh yeah my mom was uh fighting my dad um my dad never like physically fought my mom but um she was the one to fight him Mm. and i remember just uh being in the room with my with my older sister she's trying to console us me and my little brother and we're just i just remember being so scared you know Mm. hearing hearing all the shouting the fighting chairs being thrown around Mm. And then when it was finally calm, it was quiet there for a while. My dad came in the room and, and got me and my little brother. And mm. um, I remember walking by my mom and I can see blood, you know, on mm. her wrists. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's that's kind of kind of sad to think that, uh, you know, that's one of my first memories, actually, as a as a child, you know, mm-hmm. pretty, uh, pretty traumatic uh, experience. That's a, that's a trauma memory for sure. Like when you can still see that picture of of you know your mom's with, mm-hmm. with the blood on her wrists like that's that's a trauma memory for sure yeah so it's been imprinted you know and uh, uh there's a lot of good memories too you know um there, there were some happy times you know with my mom and my dad my biological parents um uh, we moved a lot uh it felt like almost every school year i was going to a different school and then uh mm-hmm. my mom and dad um, they probably split maybe about um, four times, I would, I would think. And then they just, they just, um, they were just toxic for each other. They couldn't, they're both pretty stubborn and both pretty hard headed. So mm. um, they just didn't mesh. You know, they loved each other. Like the passion mm. was there, but they just, they, mm. they just can work, work it out, I guess. Um, another big part of my life was um, the, the physical abuse that I, that I suffered at the hands of my dad, you know, mm. um, my dad, uh, for the most part, raised us as a single parent, as a single father. Mm. Um, he decided to take that role because my mom did a lot of drinking. There's a lot of things that uh, happens when adults drink, you know, in the reservations or, or even in the, the inner city where I grew up, uh, mostly in the, the north end, um, but uh, in the inner city. And uh, my dad would... Uh, uh, whip us with a with a leather belt, mm. 
So uh, I remember, you know, um, being bad, I guess, like, he would uh, come and uh, hit us and whip us with the belt. Uh, it was uh, pretty pretty traumatic, you know. Um, I spent a lot of years, my childhood years, being being afraid, being scared, mm. kind of like walking on eggshells kind of thing. Mm. Um, not wanting to piss my dad off, you know. Um, there, Like I said, though, there was a lot of good times. You know, he had a good work ethic. He, there was times where he worked uh, a full-time plus a part-time job kind of thing to, mm. I, guess, I guess, feed us. Um, he never really had any post-secondary education, but uh, he always had, like, um, I guess, minimum wage jobs. So um, right. the working poor kind of thing. Yeah, you got to put in a long hours to feed a family on on those wages. Yeah, so we never had the best clothes. We we, we had food, you know. There's times where we had to access some harvest, um, you know. But uh, growing up poor, I think that that kind of humbled me, you know, mm. um, in a way. Mm-hmm. And then always, like, I always wanted more kind of thing. I always always wanted to, to break out of that, that poverty and just do well for you know, myself and like, actually I always plan, always thought that I have children, which I do mm. now and mm. always wanted better for them. Right. So, uh, I remember, um, this one time we we're in the North end, living in the North end. And, um, uh, my dad had a, a jar full of change and I would take like a dollar worth of change of like nickels, dimes, pennies. Mm-hmm. And I would go to Seven Eleven and buy those, um, those, those cheap, you know, nickel, um, candies right i'd buy about a dollar's worth and at the at the same time i'd actually be filling my pockets with uh with other stuff all the other goodies some bonus material yeah <laughs> so, uh, we, we'd go and split that you know among amongst us friends or and my little brother you know there'd be like three four of us we'd go in there and i remember my this one time my friend got caught uh she's like hey what's in your pocket he pulls out i guess he had asthma he pulls out a puffer and he's like hey it's just my puffer so and he never got caught fully you know and we we're able to get away with that and fill our bellies hmm. you know and then uh a little later um i remember um just hanging out on stella with my one friend and he was watching his younger siblings and they all had their friends and uh we we're sitting there and we were like, man, we're, you know, the kids were hungry. We we're hungry. So we devised this plan where he was going to cause a distraction in this corner store. He was going to knock something over. I think it was like a, like a display of like nuts or something, peanuts. <laughs> uh-huh. And he's like, you go in there. When I, when I knock that over, you go in there and I'll scrab whatever. And so, yeah, I did. I, he went in there, knocked it over. They came around like the owners and, uh, yeah, I just grabbed as much as I can, some pop, you know, he got some pop, armful of chips, you know, filled my pockets and he actually he actually did that snatch and grab too. He just just filled up his arms and we just bucked it. How old are you at this point? Oh, uh I I want to say 12, 11. Yeah. You know, some of us, like the like because uh I can see now with with the school and all that like the courses I've been taking, I could see like the my timeline is a little foggy because of like the trauma, I guess. Mm. Um, but uh, I would say about that that age, you know, yeah. around yeah. that time that uh, um, I tried smoking for the first time too. But uh, yeah, we we just did that snatch and grab. We went and we all ate. 
like you know where it was actually a pretty good pretty good munch like we we ate the kids ate they were happy we we're happy and yeah and then uh and there was a time when i went to nichimakwa and this is where uh well actually like before this um i want i want to say that um one thing that really impacted me um was um walking with my mom hmm. and uh m- my mom and dad they always smoked cannabis um i always i, I knew it what it was you know uh i i enjoy it like i i enjoyed the smell um i guess i i guess i i i related that smell to their happiness i think is what happened hmm uh, they would always smoke at nights, but I know that whenever they smoked their cannabis, they'd be they'd be getting along, watching movies, you know, and then the next day would be pretty good, you know. No arguments, nothing really, you know. Interesting. Yeah, so this one time I, I was walking with my mom and she's like, Henry, stay here. And she went to this this place that uh I guess to buy her cannabis and I seen that guy there and I was like, Oh wow. You know, he had like best clothes, you know. Mm-hmm. And then even back then, like uh, being in the inner city, um, back then you you would be able to uh, know um, what kind of person that is by the colors they wore, um, you know, what gang they were with. So what affiliation they had? Yeah. So uh, I I knew right away that he was like a a gang member, and um, that was the place that my mom used to buy her cannabis. Yeah. And just seeing him like with the best clothes and he looked pretty well off compared to the rest of us in the inner city, you know, that, um, that really imprinted on me. I really made a big impression. And that was like a, a thing where that I saw that, um, that was a way out hmm. of that poverty. Hmm. You know, I, I, that day I made that decision as like, Hey, um, I can do that. I don't, you know, cause I didn't want to be poor anymore. You know, I wanted these things. Um, these material things that um, I thought you need, right? Um, because you don't have them growing up. So that that really made a big impression on me. And then um, later on, later on in life, uh, I uh, I was voluntarily placed into CFS, Child and Family Services. And then right off the bat, like I um, I kind of fell into a being a delinquent and a criminal, mm. um, I kind of left the wanting to be a gangster behind. Um, around when I was twelve, I was actually uh, uh, jumped into a gang, um, mm. and because uh, of uh, the, because of me going into CFS, I was kind of away from the area. Oh, I see. Yeah, so I didn't really hang around with those those gangsters anymore. Um, so I, uh, I just kind of started doing my own thing, you know, and the one thing that I remember is how, you know, um, growing up in the inner city, I didn't really, there, maybe there was a few times where I felt unsafe, but being, being, um, I guess shipped out to, you know, St. Fatal, St. Boniface, um, I didn't feel like I was in the right place and I, I didn't feel as safe as I did that, uh, you know, in the inner city, it was, it was That's a little, it was a little weird. Didn't feel as safe in St. Vital as you did in the North End. No. That's interesting. I was... Uh, so when you say you were like you were jumped into a gang, and then you're removed from that, and then you're doing your own thing, like like when you're jumped in, like were you starting to do some some dealing then already? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then... 
Well, just like some runs or whatever. Runs. Just, uh, they they would call them missions. Like you know, um, you'd have to to kind of prove your worth. So there there right. were some things that I had to do. So you had some experience there, and then you, and then when you're doing your own thing, you're, you sort of like move from being like franchised to being like an independent operator. Well, uh, <laughs> like I'm, I'm pretty like uh, I'm very critical of of things like my surroundings and people around me. Um, mm. Just maybe it's like a defense thing kind of thing. Mm. Um, but uh, I saw right away that you know, um, yeah, maybe being a gangster was something to look forward to. You're you're wanting a connection with others because there's the you know you don't have that you know at home maybe, mm-hmm. um so you want that connection right and then the the OGs or the older guys, um they kind of take you under your wing and they they show you the I guess what you would think is love but they're kind of just like using you so I saw right off the it's bat a weird that, it's a weird mix hey of yeah. like it it is a kind of alternate family and there is some like real brotherhood and an affection. Yeah. But then it's it's all tied up with, you know, uh, an operation where every, you know everyone has kind of a is is serving the the purpose of some master above them, you know, for some kind of financial gain. Yeah, yeah, it was all about finances, you know, and, and asserting your authority over others. Yeah, um, I saw that. Uh, I didn't, I didn't want that. Um, ever since I can remember, uh, I was always like a leader, like wherever, mm-hmm. you know, out of, you know, playing with cousins or, um, with my brother or at school, you know, I was always kind of like, um, uh, I guess the leader. I remember in school, um, I would actually, um, I would actually go and like f- seek out these bullies and kind of like beat up the bully kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like I said, I moved a lot with school, so uh, that was my thing. You know, uh, I I I had this natural um, leadership skill that I that I I guess I have, and I just I didn't see myself being a leader in that I guess in a gang. Right. So I, I moved from the from the inner city to these these group homes and these emergency placements. Um, the first year I was in CFS, I think I was in like eleven homes. Something mm-hmm. like that, um, and then that's wow. when all the like the the criminal activity started, really, uh, because uh, back then there was a, a policy of, um, you know, if the kid wasn't in school or not in some kind of day program, then um, they would actually um, they would kind of kick you out for the day. So uh, staff would wake me up, you know, in, in the morning and be like, "Hey, Henry, you got to go." And, uh, you know, I quickly, I found myself at, uh, Portage place downtown hmm. and, uh, over within like within a week or like, or so I, I, I noticed that, um, most of the kids there, cause there was a group of kids that would be there just like hanging out at the mall outside in the bus shacks, you know? And, uh, I noticed that they were all like CFS kids as well. You know, we didn't have mm. much supervision, nothing really. We just we were left uh, to our own devices, kind of thing. And uh, I, I kind of became a leader there too. You mm. know, there was uh, there was a time where there would be ten, fifteen of us, you know, just hanging out for the day, and and it would be like kind of up to me to kind of figure out what we're going to be doing for the day. Mm. And um, 
a lot of times, um, you know, some of us, we, we sold drugs for, for the older people. Um, and then, uh, we, uh, uh, the, the big thing that we did was um, robberies. So there'd be a group of us and we'd go and rob people during the day and we'd spend that money on either cannabis or, or alcohol. You know, I, I started self-medicating with um, cannabis at, at that time. Mm-hmm. It helped with uh, it helped with all the, the stuff that I was going through, you know, being in, in care. Because w- uh, one of the, the first things I felt um, being placed into care was... Um, uh, the feeling of being lonely and not being loved, you know, mm. um, because you're, you're placed in a system where that your, your basic needs are met. Right. You know, you're fed. Um, you have a, sh- you have shelter, but there's no, but nobody, nobody really cares. No, about you as a person, there's no spiritual, there's no emotional, there's no mental care. You know, there's just the bis- basic physical care. And, um, you know, I, it's like putting a dog in the pound. Yeah, so I had all these I had all these issues from from my childhood, you know, carried into you know my my youth years and then having that feeling of not being loved or cared for or you know and so I started, you know, self-medicating with alcohol and and cannabis, you know, and then I started uh to get that, uh, you know, do some some drug runs for people or or I would uh, rob people, you know, when we'd split, you know, the money or, or whatever. Or we'd, we'd just drink, you know. Um, <clears throat> that carried on for a couple of years. And then um, and then I started actually selling uh, cannabis myself. And uh, that's where that, that part of my life was. Um, it, it goes back to that time where I was with my mom and I saw that guy and you know, I remembered, I was like, you know what, this is, and I, and I found that I'm, I was good at it. You know, I was really good at it. Um, over time, I would know just the clients. I'd be like, okay, this guy wants, wants some, you know, weed or cannabis, you know, so I'd know. And then, uh, yeah, like I got really good at it. I was like, uh, like a 14 year old kid walking around with like a bunch of cannabis. Um, so that was a big part of my life until I moved into a home. Uh, his name was uh, Luke Arquette. Uh, mm-hmm. Good Wolf, uh, his spirit name was. Mm. Uh, he was mm. Al- he was Algonquin from uh, out uh, out east. Mm. I guess he uh, he operated um, foster homes first in the north. Then um, he uh, and then he moved to North North Caldolan and. Uh, he uh, he was an uh, an, an elder, uh, knowledge keeper, pipe maker, drum maker. Um, he was a piercer, a cutter at Sundance. Mm. You know, he was a carver. He was a lot of things, but deep down, you know, he was a person that loved these kids that came into his home. Mm. So when I when I went into that home, that was the first time I I felt love uh, mm. you know, in a long time, and I felt like he he actually really cared for us, you know. Mm. So there would there would be times where we'd we'd just be sitting, you know, just sitting around. Sometimes it'd be in the morning because uh, I, I remember these 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 I guess teachings, these lessons I would I would get from him because he used to eat his Cheerios with water, and uh, so it, that was like uh, that took a little time to get used to. But you know, he used to say that you know um, 
you and your brother, you guys are, you guys are good boys, you know. Um, maybe it's just the crowd you're hanging around with or whatever, you know. Hmm. You know, there's something about you, Henry, that you're, you're gonna go places. You're gonna, you're gonna, you know, help people. You know, I didn't really see it that that time. You know, I hmm. didn't, I didn't see, you know, that being a reality in my life. You know, I just saw this. The but shit he that, saw that in you. Yeah. When I saw the the stuff that I was doing, and I felt you know pretty crappy about it, and then uh, that's when uh, you know um, I I got really into um, our spirituality as a like a indigenous uh, spirituality, you know, being a helper, um, sweat lodge, scabe. Um, mm. I remember sitting in a sweat lodge, and this uh, this elder was saying that. Um, you know, this is the place to cry. This is the place to grieve. This is the place to pray. This is our church. You know, this is the church of um, of of Mother Earth. You know, and she, she Mother Earth will take care of you, and these grandfathers will take care of you. They 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 have medicine to give you, and everything that 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 you've experienced in life. Um, this is a place to to let it out. The the stuff that we carry. So uh I did uh I did a lot of that in, in sweat lodges, you know, um letting it out physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. Mm. You know, just just letting it out and you know, um I found forgiveness actually in the sweat lodge, you know. I, I remember I was so mm-hmm. so pitiful just laying in that lodge and I was all, maybe only like twenty grandfathers, but it seemed like one of the hottest lodges I've been in. Mm. And uh I, I can picture my dad and I and I saw how 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 damaged and how hurt he is too. So you know mm-hmm. and I and I and and I said you know what I forgive you, you know I I forgive the the things that 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 you've done. Mm-hmm. So through that sweat lodge, I was able to find that forgiveness. At at around fourteen, I was I was not even fifteen that time. Uh, I got my first job, uh, through North End Housing Project and uh. uh OPK Manitoba, Okichita, Pimatuan, Kinematuan. It was, uh, I didn't even think he, it was an organization yet, but it was ran with uh, through uh, Larry Morissette. And uh, I guess the aim uh, of that, uh, that agency, OPK, was to help uh, people leave, uh, I guess, the, the gang life, you know, or help other vulnerable people. And uh, so him and Luke, uh, Larry and Luke, they must have saw that uh, maybe I was gonna try go back towards that way to the gang life, or hmm. well, essentially I was kind of like a, a leader of like I wouldn't say a gang, but like a crew of kids, you know. So they 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 didn't they didn't see that was for me, you know. Larry said, you know, that's not you, that's not for you. Um, Luke said that, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was able to work alongside uh, some some gang members that were either on their way out or contemplating um, leaving the gang. Some OGs, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, these guys, actually, uh, they knew Luke. Like, uh, they lived with Luke prior. Like, these guys, mm-hmm. yeah, these guys were, what, 10, 15 years older than me, something like that. Um, they did they did some hard time, you know, um, mm-hmm. in the pen. And they just laid it all out for me. They're like, okay, this is how it's going to be. This is what you're going to have to do. Um, this is the sacrifices you're going to have to do. Um, so all I saw was that like, okay, well, the gang's going to get all this shit out of me, but mm. what am I going to get really? Mm. 
like respect what kind of, but that's the 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 wrong kind of respect it's not respect it's fear right mm. so i was like okay then that's when i was like you know what those guys really made an impact on me and that's when i i i i noticed like i was like you know what this really isn't for me you know for me to be that leader uh in a gang cuz uh the leader that i am mm-hmm. uh, i would have to hurt a lot of people and right. and about that right. about that time i was i was already um kind of ashamed of the hurt that i've i've been doing already mm. you know um i i used to fight a lot um when i was drinking um i guess that was my my outlet you know cuz i was i was hurting you know i didn't mm. know at the time but i was hurting on the inside and i and you know i guess subconsciously i i was like you know what i got to hurt others too you know kind of thing so there was a point where i would be fighting almost every time that i drank you know and robbing people and robbing other drug dealers and it wasn't a good situation you know so i was kind of living like this 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 tr- long transition of being this this delinquent this criminal this drug dealer to this this spiritual being uh, of of finding forgiveness and spirituality and finding our ways you know mhm all the while luke would be telling me you know about um colonialism oppression um larry you know we'd have these talks in the mornings you know sometimes he would even come and pick me up he had a, a red dodge neon you come pick me up and on the way to work we'd just be talking just talking about masculinity toxic masculinity right. yeah before that was even a thing you know how we're we're growing up in the in the hood where we're we're made to believe that we're we're supposed to be solid you know we're supposed to be this person to be feared meanwhile our men you know weren't traditionally that way we were helpers mm. we were mm. you know helpers in the community we we were the ones to serve mm. we weren't we were, we weren't the ones being served we were we were serving our elders our our children our 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 women so that that really stuck with me for a long time but i was so entrenched in that other lifestyle that uh, that trend that transition took um took about i would say about oh close to about maybe maybe a decade wow that's really interesting to reflect on you know like I, i'm mm-hmm. thinking about how i've i've heard it said you know, particularly, I would say, like, of the colonial church, you know, that there's been a formula of, like, you know, first first you believe, then you behave, and then you belong. Yeah. And, and this, you know, this, your story is, is really, like, I, I get the sense that, you know, with Luke, you know, if you, first of all, you got that sense of belonging with him, that he never, he never withdrew that from you, mm-hmm. you know, and then... And then behaving differently and believing differently, you know, that kind of came over time, over time. Yeah. But like your your belonging was never, your belonging with him seems like it was never put at stake, even when he knew you were still doing things that he didn't think were good and weren't, no. weren't the real you. No. And like he just he, hang, hung in there with you. Yeah, he did. He did. Uh, he did. And he didn't, like, maybe he would, like, he would... Uh, there was times where like we'd be gone for the weekend just drinking, you know, fighting. And he'd be driving around looking for us in the mm-hmm. in the north mm-hmm. end. And um no other placement, no other foster right. home would probably do that, even now, you know. 
So like he really did care, and and he he didn't care like individually, like like he loved and cared for us individually, yes. But it was on a grander scale where he he loved and cared for his people, like his mm. traditional people. And another thing that happened at that time was um, being like um, ceremony, and then um, um, being at a Sundance one time. I was like, wow, there's actually like a community of people that are in ceremony. Mm. As opposed to like what I grew up with was a, a community of of poverty, of oppression, of violence. Mm. I thought that that was life, you know that that violence, you know, and that poverty, and hurting people, you know, um, that that was my reality until I opened my eyes when I saw ceremony on a bigger scale, and I saw, you know, uh, a community of people just like doing good, you know. And and healing and praying. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So um, I, I can't. I you know like ever since I was probably about twelve. Since you, right, right until I, I was eighteen, I was either um, on probation or, or on bail because of my criminal activity. I spent a lot of time in the Manitoba Youth Center. Um, you know, so most of my my youth was like either, you know, on the streets, in ceremony, or in the youth center. Hmm, out on, wow. Or, yeah, or out on bail or on probation. So it was... Uh, so as, pretty... Yeah, as, as someone who's been in that life, like, like what do you want to say, uh, maybe first of all, to like young people who are in that life or are thinking about getting into that life? Um, and then also, like, what do you want to say to people who, who pass judgment uh, on the people who get into that life. So uh, usually, because I, I work, you know, I, I work uh, with the youth and mm -hmm. uh, with action therapy. And uh, the, the first thing I, I, I try and tell, like, especially if they're uh, the boys uh, I work with, the youth that I work with, um, they're trying to get into the, the gang lifestyle or uh, drug dealing, is that um, that reality doesn't have to be yours. You know, maybe you might think that that reality is good, but there's there's nothing really good that comes from it. Hmm. Um, a lot of my peers um, that were in CFS or like even in like like people that I grew up with in the hood, um, they're either a lot of them are actually dying right now. That's kind hmm. of sad, really. And uh, a lot of Already. them, are, yeah, a lot. How of old them, are you, Henry? Thirty-three. I'll be thirty-four. Wow. So, uh, and a lot of them have fallen to addictions. Um, yeah. A lot of them are, are, are serving hard time in jail. You know, um, that was the, the, the one thing too, is like, uh, if you wanted to be a, like a gangster, it was pretty much given that you would have to serve hard time um, for, for the gang, you know? Um, so like, I, I think, you know, like I remember Luke saying that, you know, sometimes, you know, all we have is time. And, and and time is, is is probably the only thing you can't really get back. Mm. So I wasn't I wasn't prepared to make that sacrifice for anyone really. Yeah. Yeah. So and then uh, the thing about uh, what others, um, you know, possibly passing judgment is that um, a person wants to join a gang or become a drug dealer uh, because they because. Uh, a lot of it has to do with their their environment. There's a thing that I um, 
that I that I talk about. Um, it's called being a victim of your environment. Hmm. And a lot of times, these these kids they they haven't seen any other options or any other way. So once they once they realize that hey, like I I can actually do better. I don't have to be solid. I don't have to be this gangster. I can be myself, really. Hmm. And they gotta learn to be comfortable with themselves too, as well. Hmm. So like, and passing judgment, you know, that's not that does no good. That does no good for you. That does no good for them. You know, um, you you have you you haven't walked in their shoes, especially the people that don't understand poverty, oppression, mm-hmm. you know, trauma, abuse. You know, you 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 have no right to to pass judgment on these these people. You know, mm-hmm. um, the oppression has been been a big part of uh, and colonialism has been a big part of uh, indigenous people's lives for for generations. And this is just uh, another, I guess, um, thing that came from colonization and oppression. Absolutely, Henry, you were you were one of the helpers for the return of the Buffalo Couples Retreat uh, and for the Men's Retreat. Yeah. Um, like, without sharing some some stories that aren't ours to share, like I wonder uh, what memories stand out for you uh, from those retreats. One of the the biggest memories was um, just being out on the land, hmm. and how how it was nice for these people to come and be out on the land. They there's a term that in social work and just social services that um, a lot of people call, uh, you know, land based healing. Mm, yeah, and it, it actually is healing to be out on the land. Um, I remember Luke used to say, you know, um, Henry, you know, uh, things are getting tough, you know. We'll try our best to get out on out in the bush, even if it's for even if it's for 10, 15, 20 minutes or or a day. You mm-hmm. know, you got to remember that being connected to Mother Earth and being out in the bush is is natural to us, um, to our spirit. Uh, when we're living in the city, we're uh, we're living in a in a in a fake world. He he would say, man mm-hmm. man made concrete. You know, and we're disconnected from spirit, and we're disconnected from our Mother Earth. And um, our spirit kind of feels that, so we we get sad right to our core. Sometimes being disconnected from um, um, the land, so it was nice to be out there, out on the land, sharing the land with others, and and just watching that uh, that healing going on. And then the the other thing I remember was um, just watching the watching the people and 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 the hope that they had. Mm. Like like uh, I'm not you know. Like I have a like a a crazy life story, but like there's there's so much out there like that, similar, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. even or even worse. Mm-hmm. And these people came with so much hope, hmm. and that was just beautiful to see, you know. And mm-hmm. they they would share like their aspirations for the future, their their plan moving forward, you know, and then a little bit about you know, their past and how they got there. So it was nice. It was nice to see that, that hope and that resiliency in those people. Mm -hmm. And, and some folks have, have, uh, since those retreats, you know, are still in some pretty rough situations, but I have to Mm -hmm. say, there's also some, some folks who have had some amazing 
uh, successes. You know, we're looking forward to interviewing mm-hmm. uh, one of the one of the women who was in the very first retreat who uh, uh, you know managed to overturn a permanent. Like her kids were already in a permanent apprehension order. Yeah, and, and, and she managed tough. to overturn that. Her name's Deandra Powderhorn, um, and is uh, yeah. Saisi Dene, you know, amazing story of her people and and her own life story, and uh, and she's in a, just in a really good place now, um, and uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to to sharing her story among others that 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 spread that hope. You know, yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was beautiful to see, and and then um, also um, a lot of them came disconnected from ceremony. Mm. So I was I was pretty apprehensive about uh, like I guess coming on with uh, Sandy Soto because I'm not I'm not Christian by any means. Yeah, I've made that decision a long a long time ago, and my ethics and my values as a person and a and a like a future social worker is actually based with in within spirituality. So I was I was able to share how essentially um being connected to spirit and finding my way within ceremony, indigenous ceremony, how that essentially saved my life. Mm. And it was nice to, to kind of share that with them and, and, and share that uh, finding that connection to spirit again with them, you mm-hmm. know, even, even if it was just for a short while, you know, and, 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 and there was a couple that I told them that, uh, you know, like that, that connection to spirit can be always found again, you know, and, that's a very important aspect of being, you know, because um, a lot of times um, we're we're very disconnected from spirit, mm-hmm. and finding that connection again to spirit and believing yeah. in our yeah, spirit that was is, really powerful to see. Yep. Yeah, and as someone who is a Christian, you know, like Jesus has a teaching: you you will know a tree by its fruit, and if the fruit is good, the tree is good. Mm-hmm. And you know, I can say that all all I see in your life. And and all I see in the lodge is is good fruit coming out of that that journey. It's a it's a beautiful way to pray for sure. It is a beautiful way to pray, absolutely. Um, what for for a, for people who you know for, for people from a number of different spiritual identifications, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you, Henry, about your research interests. You recently got an award for. A research award from the University of Manitoba. Um, uh, what's that, yeah. What was that about? Uh, it was an undergraduate uh, research award where uh, I was granted uh, seven thousand dollars to to either help or conduct with uh, research. Um, so I worked with uh, closely with uh, Professor uh, Doctor um, Marlene Bonnycastle, and uh, I wrote up. Uh, uh, a, a research proposal and then I helped her with transcribing prior research and uh, just learn um, how research uh, mm. happens you know mm. so writing that proposal I think it was like a, uh, it took me a couple months to write it it was about a, a 45 page 48 page uh, proposal what were you guys researching uh, so the research uh, centered around um a youth homelessness and its connection to children in, in, in care, oh, leaving care. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I chose that because uh, I know a lot of my peers from back then um, ended up being homeless. And there was a time where I was homeless as well. Um, even uh, after um, being out in the, in the city, when I aged out of care, um, 
after that, being um, back home in the re- reservation, um, I guess that that's a form of homelessness where you're couch surfing. Right. Yep. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that that was just a passion of mine, and it, it was really fun and interesting. So you were like to, you were conducting learn. interviews with other people that had been in CFS or aged out of CFS. Yeah, there was a there was a couple like we got started on, and uh, yeah, there was a there was some interviews there, and uh, I wrote up uh, like a script and everything. Yeah, it was it was pretty uh, it was pretty uh, a good experience. I, I I've seen how um, you know um, getting into social work. I, I I wanted to see if I can like help make a difference in in, in people's lives, and um, mm-hmm. research research actually lets you. I guess uh, do that on a grander scale as opposed to like um, doing casework where it's uh, individualistic. Right. You can get, you can zoom out and, and talk about the big picture and, yeah. and some structural and like some policy realities, which have a huge impact on people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you graduate in the fall. Is that right? Yeah, I graduate this year, so uh, it's been a four-year journey of uh, getting my BSW through the Inner City Social Work Program. Um, I've I've always had like jobs. Uh, I, I've even you know um, had my own little uh, little canteen going back in um, Branch River, where I'm from. And uh, you did something there with an I, animal shelter, as I recall. Yeah, yeah. What was what was that so, about? I worked with uh, Barrens River uh, Resource Management Corp. Uh, I, I'm the uh, I'm a board member there. Um, so we actually um, we worked and we got the, the first ever. Uh, uh, well, we started doing with uh, like animal. Uh, we worked with Winnipeg Animal Shelter yep. uh, here in here in Winnipeg, and we we rescued. Uh, uh, I would say through the course of the the winter, um, probably about. Uh, five dogs and a couple cats, something like that. Anyway, we we took, went out there and brought them out here, and then we'd also uh, we'd we'd pack up uh, dog food uh, to to give to residents of Barrens River, and then we uh, we actually went to um, harvest, and we got uh, oh I don't even know how many pounds of food it was again, could be about seven hundred maybe yeah what, what or more what was it that what was it about the animals that were like. That must have touched your heart in some way. That 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 became like an important project for you. Uh, well, you know, just being like being out in the reserve, um, a dog, like uh, dogs, aren't really pets, really out there. Right. Um, their population is not controlled. Uh, you know, um, people like to shame uh, reservations on on the situation. Mm. What you got to remember is just that's happened over generations. And, you know, when you have a population of people that can barely feed themselves, you know, how are they going to feed the dogs surrounding them? Right. So a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, uh, I guess, um, things happen to the dogs out there. You know, they're unchecked, they're uncared for, they're starving, hmm. you know, stuff like that. And, uh, uh, and sometimes they can get dangerous too, you know, um, to the people. So, you know, and I, I felt that empathy for them, you know, being out there, you know, um, being from the mostly from the city um, where a dog, you know, is, is like a pet and a part of your family. And mm. to see uh, our dogs, you know, and plus I'm like the wolf clan. So that's kind of like my cousin mm. right, kind of thing. 
like a spiritual cousin. So I, uh, you know, I, I figured, you know, that's, that's just like a important work to do. Um, I know since we've done that there, there are some other organizations that go out there and, and rescue um, animals. Um, we just saw the opportunity because uh, the all weather road opened up a few years ago. So uh, we were able to do that. And, uh, and then also, um, yeah, we were the first ones to, to bring, um, I guess, harvest out there. When it, uh, when it, uh, I think they're called Manitoba Harvest now. Right. Something like that. Yeah, they changed their name. Uh, but we, we brought a whole bunch of food out there for donations, and we just handed out food mm-hmm. to the community. I'm struck by the parallel between, like, the the starving dog that turns mean and the and the hungry kid that, you know, starts stealing drugs. And getting into gangs, uh, mm-hmm. like you know, it it's it's a natural outcome of of that kind of hardship. Well, you know, you know, like I said, uh, growing up the way I, I grew up um, in poverty, it kind of humbled me, and um, I, I've always had empathy for others, um, not just humans, you mm-hmm. know, other beings, mm-hmm. you know, animals, trees, the environment. I've always had empathy for for uh, other beings so uh all your relations it was kind of like yeah it was kind of like my my way of giving back cool that's really cool mm-hmm. um this is your first time doing a podcast henry um mm-hmm. i'm curious like what are you what kind of stories are you looking forward to collecting what are you excited about uh with this podcast project I'm I'm excited that uh, this is like a fairly new kind of medium to to get, you know, uh, stories out there. Mm-hmm. I listen I listen to just a whole a whole bunch of different podcasts, and it's just uh it's going to be a, a very good experience. And then um, also just hearing others' stories, you know, mm-hmm. that's um, that's a beautiful thing, you know. And uh, I've been taught to to honor those stories. You know, there's that teaching where. When somebody tells you a little bit about themselves, tells you their story, and once that once that story, once that leaves their lips, they can't get that back. It's out there in the universe. So I, uh, you know, um, I feel honored to to be able to to hear those stories that are that are to come. Hmm. We had some interesting conversations with Stan McKay, who um, uh, Joyce Johnson in our previous conversation she was wondering if maybe you were related with stan he's uh he's a mckay from fisher river and he's uh yeah really a founding elder for the sandy soto spiritual center and he Mm -hmm. um uh he was talking about memories of radio in in uh, the early 1970s um up north really becoming a key way for uh communities to hear each other's voices and for the language Mm -hmm. also to to kind of find a way of of traveling from community to community and um uh you know being really instrumental in in creating a space for indigenous leadership uh and stories to find each other uh in the Mm -hmm. 70s and 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 i've heard stan talk about the impact of tv in the community in a very different way as something that generally like in a lot of ways drew people uh, away from one another. You know, he, I've heard him tell stories about, you know, visiting homes before and after the TVs came in there. And before the TVs came in, the elders would always be surrounded by children in their, their bedrooms. Yeah. 
And then after the TV came in, the kids were all surrounding the, the TV and the elder was alone in his room. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's, there's something about the storytelling uh, medium of podcasts that just feels like a really good fit uh, mm-hmm. for, for the kinds of stories that, that get told in circle here at Sandy Soto um, mm-hmm. that don't necessarily find their way uh, out into the, the larger world. And in this time when the pandemic is keeping us from hosting physical circles here, I, I just feel really good about kind of creating a virtual circle where, where some of the stories that, that are connected to this place can, can find a hearing. And, uh, yeah. and I'm so pleased to be doing it with you. I just, I'm, I'm really, uh, really looking forward to the, the, the work we're going to do together and the, you know, the questions you're going to bring, the guests you're going to bring, uh, you know, people that are connected to, to you. Uh, you're a very connected guy um, in, in the, in the scene of like, you know, I would call it like the indigenous renaissance in, in Winnipeg and in Manitoba, you know, indigenous people who are reclaiming cer- ceremony, reclaiming language, reclaiming, uh, you know, their own leadership, their own ways of, of dealing, dealing with, you know, the hard things in life and, and celebrating the beautiful things in life. And mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're connected to all of that. And so I'm, I'm just really looking forward to all of that. Yeah, same here. You know, I can I I can attest to um, the hardships in life. Uh, you know, I've always worked uh, towards being um, uh, a cycle breaker. Mm. Uh, one of the things that um, I did, uh, I think it was the first year of my BSW, my studies, uh, was a genogram. Um, it's a it's a tool oh, yeah. that uh, social workers. Um, uh, use not not as often, but yeah. So it's it's like mapping your 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 three generations, and 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 I guess uh, mapping the relationships and and all that between like uh, both sides of your your family. And I found that uh, alcoholism, uh, drug abuse, and um, and uh, uh, physical abuse was a uh, was a major theme and mm. on both sides of my right. family. So it's very powerful and to I, see that, like in your generation, to see that cycle breaking. Yeah, so I, I I work, you know, really hard through healing and spirituality to 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 you know kind of let let go of that in in a way, and you know to to ensure that cycle doesn't um, keep going. You know, I, I made that decision long ago that that's that that's not going to be me. You know, and uh, you know um, now uh, you know I, I've been blessed with. Uh, you know, kids at home, and you know they're 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 uh, hopefully they're gonna grow up, and you know they're they're gonna be cycle breakers as well, or you know and help others break cycles too. You know, um, I I work a lot with my son. You know, um, you you seen you seen yep. my family. Yep. Uh, my son's always there learning, yes. um, learning yeah. how to build sweat lodges, scabe. You know, he can make that sacred fire, and I'm learning those teachings. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I always tell I always tell him, you know, like you, you always you know. You know, work towards being better than your dad. You know, you can always, you know, a son can always, you know, be better, you know, than your than their dad because you know, no person is perfect. You know, but you can be that much better than than I was. You know, yeah. that, that's my hope. You know. Well, I'm so glad we we latched onto you when we did as a as a leader and a cycle breaker, and I'll I'll still call you a young elder, uh, and I'm I'm glad I got we I'm glad we we got you before you graduate uh, from social work in fall, because I know uh, you're going to be a, you're going to be a hot commodity coming out of that gate. 
Right on. Thank you for the opportunity. It was nice to to share. You know, um, the the one thing that I learned in Lodge um, was, uh, you know, sharing your your story is healing. Mm. So um, this has been a good experience for me. Yeah, and um, sharing your story is a sacred gift, and and I receive it as such. 